Well, I want to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philemon in the New Testament, a very small and short letter, uh, actually the last letter written by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament canon. It appears right before the book of Hebrews. Uh, let me just encourage you as strongly as possible as I do each and every week uh, that you're going to benefit most from the preaching of God's Word if you have a copy of God's Word in front of you. I do not, uh, at least uh, I attempt not to preach my own ideas or opinions, but to simply set forth what God would have us know and what God would say to us through the Bible each and every week. And so uh, you can keep me accountable to doing that. Um, as I invite you to, if you have an open Bible. So Philemon is on the agenda for this morning, and as you've turned there, let me read this uh, wonderful little letter of Paul, and then we'll pray and dive in. The letter of Paul to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever." No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, as we turn now to your word, as we seek to understand and apply it to our lives, Lord, would you help us for Jesus' sake. Amen. 
I have to, um, I have to admit that there is one aspect of the Christian life that I've been thinking about more now than I think I ever have. And that is the, uh, the aspect of the Christian life that we commonly refer to as fellowship. And the reason that I've been thinking about fellowship for really the past six months or so is that I, like you, uh, have missed the opportunities that were once taken for granted uh, to spend time in public places with people that I enjoy. I miss the conversations. I miss the encouragement. I even miss the laughter. I miss the fellowship. But see, that's exactly where I, I feel like I've gotten stuck time and time again in my mind over the last six months. Because immediately I, I begin to ask, what actually is fellowship? It's a deceptively tricky thing to define. I think at at our core, each and every one of us, if we've been following Jesus for some time, has some sort of idea of, of what we conceive to be fellowship. But I'm here to tell you this morning that I'm not sure that what we typically think about is quite right. John Woodhouse, an Australian commentator and Anglican brother, writes in his commentary on Philemon, he says, the fellowship of believers in Jesus Christ is remarkably powerful for good. I wonder whether that has been your experience. It may have been without your fully appreciating just how good it has been. Too easily we take familiar things for granted. Isn't that the, the, the truth? It is also possible for the fellowship of believers to be less, hear this, to be less in our experience than it ought to be. Because what we call fellowship might be no more than a loose association of people who occasionally assemble for something we call church. Or, it may be that what we think is fellowship is just human friendship. Itself a wonderful thing, but not the same as the fellowship of believers. It is possible that the concept of Christian fellowship is in danger of being misunderstood or undervalued. Could it be that as Christian churches focus on worship or ministry or even on discipleship, we lose sight of the basic and wonderful goodness and power of the fellowship of believers? He then says, if you are wondering what I am talking about, perhaps that is evidence that my concerns have some basis. What is fellowship? If fellowship is not merely a loose association of people that I attend church with, if it is not merely friendship with other Christians, as wonderful as it is for us to sit around and talk about the Browns and Steelers game that will take place at 1 o'clock. I'm sure that's the first you've heard of it uh, here in Western PA. As wonderful as it is to talk about those things and to enjoy one another's company, is that really fellowship? I think the answer that the Bible gives is no. That Christian fellowship is something entirely different, entirely more profound and powerful 
And it's the theme of Christian fellowship that dominates this little letter of Paul to Philemon. The idea of fellowship. And what Paul says in this letter, if you want this letter in a, in a tweet or a sentence, is that the fellowship in the faith believers share causes us to receive and refresh one another in Christ. This little book is a case study in fellowship. Now, in order for us to really understand what Paul is doing here as we really approach someone else's mail, we have to know something of the background to this amazing little New Testament gem. See, Philemon is really volume two in a two-volume package of Colossians and Philemon. Let me explain. A long time ago when Paul was in Ephesus and was doing Christian ministry there, this very wealthy man named Philemon from the area around Colossae visited Ephesus and heard Paul as he proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. Philemon heard the message that because of what Jesus has done as God in the flesh, perfectly obeying God's commandments, laying down his life to pay for the penalty of, of sin, taking upon himself the condemnation his people deserve, and rising again that now Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. And in hearing that message, Philemon placed his faith in the Lord Jesus and began to follow him. As he went back home and to the, the area of Colossae, another man named Epaphras showed up, also a convert of Paul, and proclaimed the gospel there, and a church was formed. If you lived in this time and you were part of the church in Colossae, you would have gotten up on Sunday morning and would have said, not, are you going to church this morning? You would have said, hey, are, are we going to Philemon's house this morning? Because the church in Colossae met at Philemon's home. So Philemon was very wealthy, had a big family, at least it seems from the beginning of the letter that he certainly had a wife, Aphia, and a son, Archippus, at least that's what we, we think. But he was wealthy enough also to have bond servants. You might call them slaves. In verse 16 there we read uh, in Philemon's uh, letter here that Onesimus, this man that is coming back with this letter to the church in Colossae and to, to Philemon himself is to be received back no longer as a bond servant, but as something more. The relationship between all of these people is, is remarkable. We have Philemon, the wealthy man who has a church that meets in his home. And Onesimus, his runaway slave. And Paul is going to use these two men as the most powerful and the most gripping case study of Christian fellowship in the entire New Testament. Now, in order for us to even understand and hear the message that Philemon proclaims, We've got to just address the huge 19th century elephant that we placed right in the middle of our parking lot, because you heard me say slave. And for most of us, when we hear the word slave, we immediately think, why wouldn't we, about the atrocity, the absolute unequivocal terror of 19th century race-based American slavery. It is the great embarrassment of our nation. We live in the greatest nation on planet Earth. But that doesn't mean that we don't have embarrassing moments. That one is massive. And if we're not careful, what we're going to do is we're going to hear 
imagery of bond servitude or, or slavery in the letter of Philemon and think we're going to equate slavery in Paul's day with slavery in 19th century America, and that couldn't be further from the truth. I want to just teach you a very simple Bible study uh, lesson here this morning before we dive in to the text that will help us set in context this letter of Paul to Philemon. You'll notice that if you have an ESV open, that when Paul refers to Onesimus, verse 16, no longer as a bond servant, there's a footnote there, footnote number three. Now you might be reading your Bible and think footnotes are for eggheads and preachers like Mike. That doesn't bother me at all. Why would I even stop to consider what the footnote says? Because you can't understand this letter as an American without that footnote. Because you're going to think 19th century slavery. But if you follow the footnote, you'll see it says the bottom for the contextual rendering of the Greek word doulos, bond servant. See preface and explains that the word is used twice in this verse. If you look at the preface of the ESV, this is what we're told. The word slave currently carries associations with the often brutal and dehumanizing institution of slavery, particularly in 19th century America. In New Testament times, a doulos is often best described as a bondservant. That is, someone in the Roman Empire officially bound under contract to serve his master for seven years, except for those in Caesar's household in Rome who were contracted for 14 years. When the contract expired, the person was freed, given his wage that had been saved by his master, and officially declared a free man. It's very different. All right, I, I cannot emphasize that enough. Slavery in New Testament times, very different from 19th century American slavery. And there's more that we could say about that, but it'll take up all of our time. Just suffice to say, different context and context is always important. But we want to learn about fellowship. We want to learn about what Philemon and Onesimus and Paul can teach us in our church today about what it means to have fellowship with one another. And in order to do that, we look to this letter and see that it is composed, firstly, of Paul's prayer for Philemon, and then secondly, of Paul's appeal for Onesimus. So I want you to look first with me at Paul's prayer for Philemon in verses 4 to 7. Now here's something remarkable, and this is just extra. Something remarkable about the letter of Paul to Philemon is that as we read verses 4 to 22, Paul is talking to Philemon mano e mano, right? This is one man, Paul the Apostle, writing to another man, Philemon, uh, the, the, the person who has a church meeting in his home, about a slave named Onesimus. But in verses 1 and 2, and in verses 23 to 25, all of the U's, that is Y-O-U's, are plural. In other words, as Tychicus and Onesimus come to the church in Colossae. They got two letters. The first one, the letter to the Colossians, is read to the entire church. The guy finishes reading and says, by the way, Paul sent another letter. He wants it read to the entire church. It's not a private matter. It's a family matter. It's a church matter. It's not a personal issue. It's a church issue even though Paul is writing mano e mano. And the first thing that he does is he gives his prayer for Philemon. Now, I feel like I have said this 
quite a few times in the past couple of weeks, and it's because I truly believe it. If you read verses 4 to 7 in the ESV, you, you might as well be trying to discern a message from the Lord in your alphabet serial. It's convoluted, it's clunky, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The CSB, which is the translation we use with our children, is far clearer. I want to read that for you, and then we'll make some comments. Here's how the CSB translates verses 4 to 7. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers, because I hear of your love for all the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. And I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Here's Paul. Paul the apostle. Paul the great theologian. Paul the writer of the most complex theological treatise ever known, the book of Romans. And Paul, we find here at the beginning of Philemon, is as comfortable with people and a prayer list as he is with a parchment and a pen. Because Paul is a prayer. I want you to envision the aged apostle as he is imprisoned for Christ with small scraps of paper with people's names scribbled all over them. He knows each one of them by name. He knows their background. He knows their testimony. He knows what's happening in their lives. And on that list somewhere is this man called Philemon the man who was converted under his ministry in Ephesus. And as he prays for Philemon, he's reminded of reports that he's received about him. And he prays. And he tells Philemon in verse 4, Listen, Phil, when I pray for you, I always thank my God. First and foremost, uppermost in my mind, when I think of you in prayer, I give thanks. Why do you do that, Paul? What are you thankful to God for, Paul? Verse 5, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. You've got a faith in the Lord Jesus and you love God's people and for that I give God thanks. That's strange. I mean, I don't, I don't thank my son when my wife brings me a warm cup of coffee. No, you thank the person who's responsible for the action. And to the extent that Philemon has faith in the Lord Jesus and love for God's people, that is God's work in Philemon, not Philemon's work in himself. And so I thank God. Because he's so obviously at work in you. You have an interest in Jesus. You are a fellow believer. You're giving evidence of your spiritual vitality. And for that I give thanks, but that's not all that I do. He continues in verse 5. That not only do I give thanks to you, but I've got one prayer request that I, I keep first and foremost on my prayer list. And that is that I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. CSB, that your participation in the faith may become effective. Now, you don't have to know the alphas, betas, or gammas of Greek if you've been around the church for any amount of time, I'm certain you've heard someone somewhere use the phrase or the word koinonia. It's a word that we normally translate fellowship. But it's the word here that Paul translates sharing. 
here we go, in Paul's prayer life for Philemon, he plunges us into the depths of what fellowship actually is. I pray that the sharing, that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. You see, loved ones, fellowship first and foremost is not something that we can turn on and off. It's not something that happens in a specific room in the church. I used to go to a church that had a fellowship hall. That's very nice. But just entering the room doesn't make fellowship happen. Sipping coffee with another believer before church begins doesn't make fellowship happen. No, Jesus is the one who makes fellowship happen. Because first and foremost, fellowship is an objective reality anchored in the good news about Jesus. I cannot ever not have fellowship with every other man, woman, boy, and girl who has confessed the name of Jesus. It's impossible. If I'm united in Jesus, with Jesus, I'm united to everybody else who is. I share in the faith with them. Paul says, I pray that the objective reality of your sharing in the faith with other brothers and sisters in Christ, this likeness of faith in Jesus, may do something, that it may become effective for the full knowledge or realization of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. I hope, I pray, that the objective fellowship that you and I share in Jesus will then do something, and that thing is, that all of the good that is to be in the local assembly of believers would be manifested there in Colossae by means of our shared faith. Why do you do that, Paul? Verse 7. Because Philemon, you've got a track record of this. I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. On the strength of shared objective faith in Jesus. Fellowship is that tone of relationship between Christians anchored in Christ that refreshes hearts. Paul uses the word there that we translated refreshed or the hearts of the saints have found rest through you. This past week I made a terrible mistake. I, I got a new sports watch that monitors my heart rate which evidently preaching is not all that great uh, for my heart rate. Um, but I, I look at my heart rate all the time now. I'm running, I'm checking my heart rate to see where, it, where it's at. When I'm preaching now, I'm checking my heart rate. Man, when I'm sitting at home, legs up, TV on, relaxing, I get into that, that resting heart rate of about 60 beats per minute, not a care in the world. I'm refreshed. There's a tangible feedback of when I'm refreshed because my heart rate monitor tells me. Here Paul says that the, the effect of real Christian fellowship, which we'll get to in a moment, is that the hearts of God's people are refreshed. I don't know how, any, how else to put it. To be around other Christian people should be like a day at the beach. It should be like sipping from a nice, tall, cool glass of lemonade. Now, quite candidly, sometimes you spend time with Christians and you need a vacation at the beach afterwards or a nice, tall glass of lemonade afterwards. 
You know, authentic Christian fellowship, genuine Christian fellowship, leaves the hearts of God's people rested and refreshed. There's nothing like it. There's no relationship like it on planet Earth. And this is Paul's prayer for Philemon. I pray, as I give thanks for you, I pray that the objective, tangible fellowship that you have with Jesus and with other believers would do something. Well, what is that? That leads us to our second point, Paul's plea for Onesimus. You can see how original I am for using the ESV. It's right there at the beginning of, of verse 8. Paul's plea for Onesimus. Matt, just imagine. I want you to think for a moment. Uh, put yourself in the pew in Colossae. Everybody knows who Philemon is, and so by extension, everybody knows who Onesimus is. As they're waiting for a, a letter from the Apostle Paul, as it arrives, in walks Tychicus and Onesimus? I mean, what in the world is this guy doing here? He's a runaway slave. He came back here? This guy's got a lot of nerve. And then as you're sitting there and you're listening to the Apostle's letter to the Colossians read out, and the reader gets to around about chapter 4 and says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, etc. And then he says, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. And you're, you're thinking, what on earth? What is Paul even on about? Paul gets done with his prayer for Philemon. Everybody's listening with bated breath. Verse 8. Accordingly, Philemon, because you have a history of refreshing the hearts of the saints, even though I could command you, I could bring the full weight of an apostle and start issuing commands about what you should do, I prefer for love's sake to appeal to you. Paul is a master. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ, I'm in chains. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus and the record skips. You're thinking, I, I thought it was weird when he walked through the door. It was even a little bit weirder when Paul called him our brother. He's a runaway slave and a thief. But here in verse 10, he says, my, my appeal, the whole point of this letter, the whole reason I'm writing is for Onesimus. We've got some explaining to do, don't we? Listen, Paul, Paul understood very well what many of us won't if we've grown up in a Christian home and were converted, especially at a young age. Paul knew what it was like to be a man who persecuted Christians, who devoted his entire life to destroying the church, and then trying to turn up to church one morning and saying, uh, can, I, can I have a Bible and, and worship with you? And people sort of being like, whoa. They weren't for Barnabas coming alongside of Paul. Paul might not have, never have been welcomed. Maybe Paul saw a little bit of himself in Onesimus, the unlikely convert. 
the one who's not even supposed to be here, the one whose story seems to preclude any opportunity of salvation. And yet I want to point out three ways that Paul describes Onesimus. Number one, verse 10, he refers to Onesimus as his child, his child. I appeal to you for my child, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now this is, this is remarkable. Paul meets Philemon in Ephesus while he's free and ministering. At the time of this writing, Paul is in Rome and he's imprisoned. And when Philemon leaves Colossae, running away from his owner, or his master, he runs straight away to Rome at great risk to himself. And don't you know, in Rome, he meets Paul, the very one who shares the good news of Jesus with his master. And Paul does the same thing with Onesimus that he does with Philemon. He lays out the good news about Jesus. That's what Paul was about, guys. That's all he ever did. He had one sermon. He preached it a million times. Nobody got sick of it. He told Onesimus the good news about Jesus, and Onesimus comes to a saving knowledge of Christ. Paul becomes his spiritual father in the Lord. He includes in verse 11 this little uh, humorous note. If you know that Onesimus' name actually means useful, he says, formerly he was useless to you. Yeah, some, some bond servant. He steals from his master and leaves town. He's utterly useless. But now, now that he's become my son, now that he's placed his faith in Jesus, now that he is a new creation in Christ, he's truly going to live up to his name. He is indeed useful to you and to me. He is my child. Secondly, think about the love between believers here in verse 12. He is my heart. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. There is no Dickens novel that brings the Apostle Paul and this runaway slave in such proximity and relationship that Paul would refer to him as my very heart. I found myself almost welling up with tears even as I read those words from Paul because the last time that I heard someone refer to another person as my heart, well, I had this, this close family friend growing up, a very complicated uh, sort of web of relationships that... These kids that went to high school with me, one of them, don't need to go into it, but one of them um, overdosed and passed away about three or four years ago. The last time I heard someone refer to another person as their very heart was this young man's mother on Facebook as she remembered her son who had passed away. She posted a picture of him. She said, my, my heart. kind of visceral, overwhelming love for another human person. Paul says, I'm, I'm, sending, I'm sending Onesimus back to you, but you've got to understand, I love this guy. 
I love him with every fiber of my being. And if I had had it my way, I would have kept him here in Rome. That he might serve me in the gospel in my imprisonment. But I didn't want to twist your arm. I wanted you to do what's right on your own accord. He's not only my child. He's not only my heart. But he's also my brother. My brother. Is there any greater parity among human relationships than that of brother and sister? For perhaps, verse 15, this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than that, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. What an amazing, amazing God that we serve. When you consider the unlikelihood of this situation, Rome being at least an ultramarathon away from Colossae, and here Philemon runs away to Paul, and now Paul sends him back. Paul says, maybe, I mean, just maybe, this was all part of the eternal purposes of God. I was reading an article just this past uh, uh, couple months ago, if you aren't a believer in coincidence. At the beginning of the lockdown in April, there were these two neighbors in California. They lived four houses down. One of the families had just moved into the neighborhood, and they were beginning to sort of greet one another through social distance. And uh, the, the, one, the man who had moved into the neighborhood, his last name was Njotun. He was from Norway. As a matter of fact, his family uh, was from a little island called Njotun Island in Norway. Population 30. Very small. And as uh, the Njotun family was interacting with the, this other family across the street, the family across the street said, you know, we are uh, of, of Norwegian descent, and my family came from an island called Newton Island. And they started to remark, well, that's really remarkable how similar Njotun Island and Newton Island sound. Well, that's because Newton Island is how you'd pronounce it without the Norwegian accent. And they come to find out that here, living in California, four doors down from one another, one another these two men both trace their lineage back to Nyatan Island, population 30, to the same great-great-grandfather, and the two men are cousins. Thousands and thousands of miles away from their original homeland. I get that coincidences are hard to believe, but when you believe in the sovereignty of God, then coincidences are sort of no longer coincidences. Paul, Paul considers this whole incredible story, and he says, you're, just, you're not even going to believe this. But it seems to be that the reason that God ordained for this runaway slave to steal from you and leave is so that you would receive him back, no longer as a bondservant, but as a brother, that God has been working in and among and through all of these circumstances to bring Onesimus back to you forever. But good grief, Paul. Would you just get on with it? What do you want us to do? What do you, you know, if you're, if you're sitting there and you're listening to this letter, if you're Philemon, you're thinking, what do you want me to do? That's one of the great mysteries of Philemon. It drives commentators nuts. What is the appeal? What do you actually want Philemon to do? I mean, you've already said... 
I appeal to you, uh, I, I could command you to do what's required, so there's something that's required. There's a goodness that you want Philemon to do, verse 14, but he doesn't make it explicit. So what do you want Philemon to do, Paul? What is, this na- what is the nature of fellowship in this letter? I'll look at verse 17. Here we go. So, if you consider me your partner, koinonas, fellowship, koinonia, partner, koinonas. You hear the similarity? You don't even have to go to seminary. Same word group. So, if you consider me your fellow, if you have fellowship with me, Philemon, if you believe in the same Lord as I believe in, if you have trusted in the same gospel that I have trusted in, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, even as I have, if you consider me your koinonos, your partner, receive him. Receive him as you would receive me. He's yours. Take him back. Welcome him. What does that look like? Glad you asked, Philemon. If he's wronged you at all, or owes you anything, which we think he did, we think he, he, he stole from Philemon, charge that to my account, Paul says. Charge that to, that's my debt. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. By the way, just remember, Philemon, you wouldn't even be going to heaven if it wasn't for me. So you owe this favor to me. But if he's done anything to harm you, that's on me. Because Paul understood this, that the central message of the gospel is that Paul owed a debt that he could never pay to Almighty God on account of his sins, and that Jesus willingly stood in the gap and paid that debt on the cross, taking it upon himself. Jesus takes Paul's sin and yours and mine in Christ into his own account and pays for it, so that we can then be given his account of perfect righteousness and acceptance. And on the strength of that, Paul says, just like Jesus took my debt, I will take Onesimus' debt. That's on me. Receive him. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. I'm confident that you'll obey. Oh, and by the way, verse 22 I plan on visiting you at some point, uh, so make sure you do what I say. I mean, we talk all the time about what, what would it look like if Jesus were to visit your church. I haven't heard anybody say, what would it be like if the Apostle Paul came and visited your church? To me, for some strange reason, that's way scarier. I mean, Paul had a knack for just bringing the hammer, doesn't he? You read 1 Corinthians, you read Galatians, what would Paul say to this church? I, don't, I, I shudder to think. By the way, I'm coming through, and uh, I know that you're going to do what's right. It's like your dad, isn't it? I'm not going to tell you what to do. You do what you think's best, but I'm going to come and check up on you in a few months. See how it's going. If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. What does this letter have to say to you and to me about fellowship? It's very simple. That the fellowship in the faith that believers share causes us to receive and refresh one another in Christ. 
for Paul and Philemon and Onesimus, fellowship meant just simply receiving this runaway slave back no longer as merely a slave, but as a brother. Incidentally, you see the seed. It's almost like the gospel is the salt in the concrete of the institution of slavery that eventually cracks and eliminates it. It's very difficult to oppress someone that you view as a brother. For Philemon and Onesimus, fellowship simply meant receiving this formerly runaway slave as an equal, brothers and sisters in Christ. But there are so many other forms that Christian fellowship can take. I don't want to wander too far from the text here, but to receive you or for you to receive me as a brother, to have the outworking of our fellowship in the faith actually take place in our congregation, it might mean that you have to confront me on sin. That will refresh my heart. Doesn't Jesus use the word brother in Matthew 18 when he says, go and correct your brother, show him his fault? A tangible expression of our shared interest in Jesus would be when we do things like we did this morning in praying for our dear sister Christy or our brother Bob or our brother Ron in the midst of their suffering or our sister Becky. That's an outworking of Christian fellowship. An outworking of our Christian fellowship will be when you and I encourage one another in singing out loud as we worship corporately or participating actively in the preaching of the word by having an open Bible. It's a tangible expression of our shared interest in Jesus. It's receiving one another as brothers and sisters, encouraging, correcting, receiving, forgiving, rebuking, and all, all of those things and more besides. Because the key element here is that we don't get to pick and choose who we'll have fellowship with. No, Jesus does that. And so Jesus can say there is no slave or free, there is no Greek or Jew, there's no male or female in Christ. We're brought to equal positions of justification and relationship with the living God. And therefore, the onus is upon us to live in light of that. Almost I long for the day when fellowship flourishes here at First Baptist. I love the small talk, participated in some of it this morning. I love the laughter. But friends, I, I also love to hear Christian people talk about Christian things. I love to see the church welcome new people. Friends, I, I don't want to embarrass you. We've got a whole group of college kids. How many of you have introduced yourself to one of them? How many of you have welcomed them? Christian fellowship causes us to receive one another and to refresh one another's hearts. That's the message that a runaway slave and his forgiving master teach us in the letter of Philemon. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for this really touching letter nestled in the New Testament where Paul writes to Philemon to receive his child, his heart, his brother, Onesimus in the Lord. 
Lord, I pray that uh, as a result of welcoming one another, forgiving one another, encouraging one another, correcting one another, and living out our shared faith in Jesus, that we would be a place of refreshment. Lord, I pray that spending a morning at First Baptist Church would be like spending an, a morning on the beach as we leave refreshed by our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, would you create this kind of deep and abiding fellowship as an expression of who we are in Jesus. In our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that concludes our service. Uh, please feel free to stick around and have uh, meaningful fellowship with another believer in Christ before you go home.